Hello everyone, this is Simeon Brazel and you are listening to General Order 4. Today's episode we had a little bit of trouble with the recording due to the fact that Pastor Hernan Helena lives on the other side of the planet and it is 2020 after all. So, on this particular episode the audio quality is not quite what I would like it to be, but I hope you still enjoy and there's some really good content on here so stay tuned and I think you'll enjoy it. and in his just his I think favor in my life that took me across uh, some some men who just really invested in me and that's that's really instilled because of my personal experience of that just a great desire to also disciple and invest my life into to other people and we're trying to trying to infuse that in the church as a as a culture Thank you for listening to this episode of General Order 4. On today's episode, I'm going to be doing an interview with Pastor Hernan Halana, who is the pastor of Southland Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. Hello and welcome to this episode of General Order 4. On today's episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to be doing an interview and uh, I'm going to be interviewing Pastor Hernan Halana, who is the pastor of Southland Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. And I'm going to go ahead and have him introduce himself and what he's doing in Australia. And then we'll get right into the interview and get to talking about discipleship. So, Pastor Halana. G'day, everyone. My name's Hernan Halana. And as Simeon mentioned, I'm the pastor of Southland Baptist Church here in Northwest Sydney, Australia. And I've uh, been pastoring our church now for six years. I grew up in the church, served as the associate looking after our youth ministry, our music ministry, and so forth for um, a couple of years, 11, 12 years before I became the pastor. And it was a real privilege for us to be able to meet Simeon and Brittany on their, on their survey trip here a couple of years ago. And it was our joy to, to actually take them down to Parramatta CBD, which is a central business district, which I think you, you all would refer to as downtown. And Parramatta is our second largest CBD here in the state of New South Wales and really is a booming uh, city. It's, it's, it's scheduled to grow even uh, larger in the, next, in the next couple of years. And so we're super excited for, for Simeon and Brittany to head over here and, and start to minister in the needy city of Parramatta. Now, where you're located at in Western Sydney is, is what's called the Hills District, right? Yeah, that's correct. So really, the Hills District is the gateway to the Northwest Corridor of Sydney, Australia. Sydney is a large city. It's never really been divided into smaller pockets or smaller cities. And so we still are considered part of Sydney, but it really is a Northwest Corridor. And it's it's probably the, the largest or the quickest growing um, corridor in Australia or one of, um, and there's a lot of, a lot of infrastructure being put that way, a lot of housing that's being built. And so we're excited to minister in this growing area and look to even expand in the next couple of years. Kind of give, uh, for, for, especially for our American listeners, kind of give us the, um, the rundown on the spiritual condition of what's going on in Australia, 
how the churches are faring um, and just kind of a, a general idea for our American listeners, especially, but really for people around the world, we've got people now listening from, uh, from Belgium. We've got people listening from uh, several European countries and different places. So um, just give people kind of a rundown on what the spiritual condition is in Australia. We know it's a first world country, English speaking country uh, with kind of a European culture. Um, but kind of give us, just let us know what, what, how churches are faring in Australia, uh, especially I know right now we're going through the whole COVID thing. Um, so things are a little bit different, but under normal circumstances, um, what, what does an Aussie church look like and what kind of an, what kind of an impact and what is the church having in that area and, and how much is there a need for more? Australia really has, uh, some foundation in, in Christianity, uh, when the, when the first fleet came here, there was, there was a gospel presence um, through Richard Johnson. But generally speaking, Australia has always been a fairly secular society. And so that's, that's definitely the sense that you're going to get here in Australia. Churches right. are accepted in community as part of the community, but really just as an aesthetic more than being ingrained in, in our culture. And so generally speaking, churches here in, in, especially in the last 20 years have in many ways diminished in their influence, sadly. Uh, there used to be a day where even uh, um, 80% of Australians would be in churches and, and that's gone down now to the point where even in, in surveys that are, uh, that are more Christian leaning, um, they would attribute faithful attendance to to church as being as going to church once a month, and so that's a really sad state of affairs that here in Australia. As far as us as independent Baptist churches, uh, there's about 200, I would say, works here. But when you think about a population of 25 million people with uh, with 200 churches, it's just not enough. And so particularly in our downtown areas, uh, sadly, over the years, those areas have been neglected, uh, whereas really they're the seats of influence here as far as commerce, uh, education, and population. And yet not many churches are, are even doing any kind of ministry in, in downtown areas in Australia. And so there's a great need for that. There's a great need for, for laborers to come here. Uh, what the last survey that was was done from an independent Baptist point of view, the average church size over in Australia is 48 in membership. And if you had that's, that's seven, not in people attending, that's in total membership, right? Yeah, no, that's that's when they say. I think when they wrote down uh, membership, that would be in attendance, actually. Okay. You would so anyone any any church that's from forty eight people to about seventy one people in attendance, uh, on average, would be considered a growing church in Australia, uh, which tells you a couple of things. There's we're quite small, but there needs to be just a greater inroad as far as reach out to the community. Uh, my observation is that most Aussie churches are soul winning churches, um, but I think the the key is is as the, this podcast's uh, subject is the key is effective discipleship. And it would be an interesting study. No one's ever done it 
but it'd be an interesting study to, to look at the retention rates that we have here in Australia as far as independent Baptist churches. If you, if you were to look at even from a greater cross-section of Christianity here, you would say the, the largest church in Australia is Hillsong Church, which is actually here in the Hills District. It's about 20 minutes away from where we minister. And even Hillsong Church, as loose as they are in the gospel, if you were to say they want anyone, they have an 80% turnover every year which means they're only wow. retaining 20% of their people and they're always wow. quote unquote winning people, but never retaining them. So there's just a general apathy and I guess a general lack of, of, of commitment that is instilled in Christianity from a large, uh, from a broader sense, even not even just in independent Baptist um, circles. Do you think that has anything to do with, uh, just Aussie people culturally not being committed or, or does it have a lot more to do with the fact that the, the churches aren't spending a lot of time teaching the people? Well, I think there's several, several things to it. The, the Aussie culture is quite unique. Uh, Aussies love, uh, they, they love, we love our time off. So it's just been traditionally as I think, I guess in the Western world where weekends are, are really your time for leisure and for family. And that's very much ingrained. If, if I were to say, if I was to say what the idols were for, for the Aussie, the typical Aussie family, it would be leisure and sports and people spend a, a great deal of money and time in leisure. You know, the, the great outdoors here in Australia is a great, uh, it's 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 beautiful, but it's also become a, quite an idol. And people just love being out. And you know, I think we probably have a lot more public holidays than you all do as well. And so it just goes to show, just again, that the mentality here. And so to commit week on week, there is a there is a battle for that. But I would also say, as far as churches are concerned, there is a lack of strong emphasis on discipleship. Uh, in, in my time traveling around and seeing different churches across our great land here, there, there isn't a great emphasis on that. There's a great emphasis on soul winning in, in the, I guess, in the traditional sense of winning people at, at the door, in the community, in your neighborhood, but actually spending the time and investing your life into someone's, into someone's life. That I, I've not seen that in a, in a great way here in Australia. Um, there are a few exceptions. Um, uh, I believe that there's there's some. If you if I if we had the time today to talk through a few of the works here in Australia that they're that that are doing that, they they are probably some of the larger churches here that you know go from the from around the two hundred people mark to uh, up to four five hundred, and they're they're doing a there's a greater sense of discipleship and retention in their churches. Yeah, and I think unfortunately some of that may have to do with American church planting ideals, <laughs> because we don't have a big idea about it either. Now, honestly, as as a missionary that was trained, you know, through a pretty traditional Bible college and different things, um, and I, I've talked to several other missionaries from other schools, um, and we pretty much all have the same story, and that is that we were trained in how to go and church plant, which mostly consisted of polity and um and soul winning like you said soul winning you know and and that is absolutely necessary to you know you're not gonna have a church if you don't have anybody who gets saved right so uh, you have to have that but in there's very little emphasis on personal discipleship teaching training um 
and I think we maybe we put too much of an emphasis on the pulpit ministry. And unfortunately, I think that has seeped into the cultural cultures of, uh, of churches and other cultures as well. Um, I know, you know, Australia's churches for the most part, a large part of them anyway, are um, results of American church plants and some European church plants as well. Um, but, uh, it, it, and unfortunately I think we may have given, given you Aussies that bad habit. So, uh, that may be, that may be partially our fault. Um, I wanted to kind of transition the conversation a little bit. If you could just go ahead and kind of talk to us about your own personal testimony, how you got saved. And then, um, you know, talk to us a little bit about how you were personally, uh, taught and trained and how you ended up being the pastor there. Well, Simeon, I, if I can just, just comment on what you just said, I, I want to do, I, I do want to say that I'm not at all. Um, I'm thankful. I'm very thankful for the American missionaries that did come, you know, over the years and for all the, the foibles that, that they did have, they did plant churches here and they had that missionary zeal. So I'm thankful for that. I've, sure. I've, I'm really up in many ways had had the, I can, I can look back and sort of trace how God's used that in uh, those missionaries in my life. You know, our church here was pastored by an American uh, missionary from Arizona who, who took on the church that, that was started here. And then another, another man took it on who had trained in America, an Aussie man, and then another American missionary who is from Washington State came through and took on the church. And, you know, the, the thing that was different about them in, in my journey is that they, they did personally invest in me. And I was saved as a seven-year-old in the Philippines. That's where we're originally from. Uh, my parents took us here when I was seven years old. That was 31 years ago. And so I'm very Australian in my mindset. I, I grew up here, love the country. But in all of that, God, in his wisdom and in his just his, I think, favor in my life, uh, took me across uh, some, some men who just really invested in me. And that's, that's really instilled because of my personal experience of that. Just a great desire to also disciple and invest my life into to other people. And we're trying to trying to infuse that in the church as a, as a culture. So um, tell me real quickly, uh, you said you got saved in the Philippines and then you had some, some people who took an interest in you um, kind of walk us through how it is that you became, you got to be to where you became the pastor of the church and how that training process took place in your life. So as a, I, I got saved at seven years old, uh, basically a couple of months later, my parents moved us over to Australia and immediately we started looking for a, a Baptist church to attend. We quickly discovered that there's really two types of Baptist churches in Australia. There's a, the Baptist union, which is like your Southern Baptist convention or some sort of hierarchy um, that, that really was dead. There was nothing happening, but we came across a man who was soul winning uh, street preaching actually in, in Parramatta and found out that they were from an independent Baptist church. That was really my parents' background. They had gotten saved in the Philippines through an independent Baptist church. And so we started coming along. And uh, as we, we, we started coming along, this man started to uh, take an interest to, with my sisters and I. He picked us up for a youth group. Um, then after a while, we, we lost touch with him. And 
we became part of a church plant here in the Northwest, which is our church now. And then he came back after a couple of years being disconnected. Um, and he actually became our pastor. He was trained in the U.S., and he had a just just had a, had a real interest in investing in people. So, for a little while, as a young person, I just got involved. He he, you know, as a pastor, he just invested in me in helping me serve, keeping me close to he and his family. And then eventually, I just sensed the call of God on my life. And um, at that point, really, there was there was a decision to make. I was about eighteen years old. And, you know, my future was ahead of me. And my assumption from what I had heard from other, other preachers through conferences that I had attended here, which really was, was generally uh, the American brethren, was I had to go to Bible college. So I just assumed that I was going to go to Bible college. Um, and just, just out of interest, uh, my, my pastor at the time had suggested I would go to Crown College. And so, I, you know, I had no idea what that was about. But I had just assumed that 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 was what I was going to do. So I started that process. And then I actually sat down with my pastor at the time and also my my singles director, who later became our pastor, uh, the American missionary from from Washington State. And he he and our, my pastor at the time sat me down and he said, look, I, we really believe that it's the local church's responsibility to train up their own. And right. we'd rather, rather that you stayed and we trained you and then you go overseas and then, you know, a couple of years later, maybe come back. So at that point, you know, I was surprised. I was ready to go. I felt surrendered, but I took their counsel and I stayed. And, and what they did was they, had a, uh, had put together a bit of an internship um, scenario for me where just every day I came into the church and I served alongside them. Uh, they sat down and, and taught me doctrine, taught me how to study my Bible, uh, taught me how to, how to be um, effective in my evangelism. And it was just, it was sort of on the job training, if I can say, and, and when I look back at it, that's really what they did. Even in my teen years, they just, they just took occasion to sit down with me week to week and just invest the Bible in me. And I think about that and, and I think about the fact that I could have gone to college and I'm not against that. I, I still have good friends who did eventually go and they're serving in a ministry today, but I'm thankful for the fact that I had a pastor and, and men in the church who just had that heart to say, you know, it's going to take us a bit more effort and it's going to take my time and, and going to take some patience, but we're just going to sit with you and invest in you, the, the, the things of the Lord. And I, I don't look back at that as a missed opportunity for me. I'm, I'm thankful that that's how things turned out because I don't believe I'd be as effective on the ground here and pastoring our church and ministering in Australia without that, um, that grounding that was just, you know, mm -hmm. personal investment on their part. Yeah, no, that's great. We, you know, we, uh, we are definitely not opponents of college. I know you're not either. Um, and I think we've had this conversation on the podcast before, but um, I'm a college trained guy. Uh, Pastor Stewart's a college trained guy. 
and I even got my master's degree from a college. And the thing I, I personally, my belief on it is this, that Bible colleges are not the enemy. They're the solution to a problem. And the problem is that we don't have enough people discipling people. And because of that, I think visionary men have said, okay, somebody's got to train them. And if they're not going to, then I'm going to. And they've started these schools. And is it, is it the absolute optimal way to train people? No, I don't think it is. The optimal way to train people is by personally doing it. Um, you know, having that person's pastor train them because that person's pastor has the most influence on them. Uh, that's optimal. But if that's not being done, then, you know, maybe Bible college is the way to go. I had the unique experience of having a pastor who was also the president of a college. So, you know, that was, that was kind of my option, but um, I don't, again, I don't think the Bible college is the problem and neither do you. Um, I think that it's the, it's the solution to a problem. Uh, Maybe not the best solution, but it's a solution. And I think you put it well, It, it is that. And I, I definitely see how it, it has, you know, it has produced, in a way, um, you know, those who administer, those who are able to fill in, you know, gaps on the field. But I also would suggest, even with my own, you know, I, I do believe in the Lord leading, you know, our people. And so there have been occasions where we've had some of our young men head over to the U.S. to get some some further training. But I've always kept it a, a, a policy and something that I've I've counseled our young men to do is to to come back and and wherever the Lord's leading them to just get connected back into the church and then get get further training and get that hands-on experience in ministry and you know it really that that I think that really should be the case anyway um, and not just for for people called to ministry but in general there needs to be that that investment of life that is is more personal rather than in a, in a generic sense. Right. Talk to me quick. We, we, you and I have had this conversation before, but I'd, I'd like for our listeners to be able to hear it because we, as missionaries, I know there is a tendency to do one of two things, either one, establish your own Bible college. And that happens all over the world. Not saying it's a bad thing, just saying it happens or two, send your people back to the States to be trained. And I know that you and I have had a conversation about this and the results of what happens when you send people to the States to be trained Talk to me a little bit about what happens in general, statistically speaking, um, when an Aussie church sends someone to the States to be trained. Yeah, that's a great, um, great question, actually, because it's something that I've thought of uh, often about, you know, in, in, in observing what's happened over the last many years that we've been sending men back to uh, men over to the U.S. for training. There's a general sense that they don't come back. Um, a lot of them tend to get hired over in the US and, and I'm not against that. Again, I'm not the Holy Spirit and I can't speak for them in their walk with God. But in many ways as an Australian, I I just I just hope and pray that they do return and and enter into the labors here. Because as right. I mentioned earlier, there's just a lack of it. And you know the the ones that do come back, they they get a bit disenchanted with how things are here because over in Australia that things are so much more smaller scale, they can tend to fall in love with the college, uh, the enormity of the college culture. Mm -hmm. And they come back a little 
disenfranchised with, you know, the, the lack of that here in Australia. Everything's so, so much more smaller scale. You know, the, the uh, for lack of a better term, the buzz that happens around a college setting with, with everything that goes on in a college environment, there's just nothing that can replicate that here in Australia. And so they can come back with a bit of a sense of, is God really working here? When God is working here, but just in a different way. And so that's just my, you know, th that's my concern. I, I don't even mind. I think eventually our, our students, when they, when they come back, the, the training and the doctrine and all of that isn't, isn't the issue. It's more to do with their, their spirit of things. It, it just gets really affected. Yeah. And I've, I've had conversations with other pastors, even here in the States um, on the same topic, who've said things like that. They've sent people to school, um, different schools all throughout the States. So it's not any one particular school, right. but you know, they, they get this idea that they're going to strike out on their own. They're going to plant this church. And then within the first two years, they're going to be running 16 buses and have, you know, 400 people. And, and then they get, upset and discouraged because things don't actually happen that fast 99% of the time. And then they begin to blame themselves and wonder what did I do wrong? And uh, am I not spiritual enough or whatever? Why isn't God blessing me? Like I feel like he should, because there's a bit of a disenfranchisement, like you said about what's going on. So it's not just in Australia, but I, I did want my, I did want the listeners to hear what you had to say about people coming from another country to study in the States what it does because it, it, the, the need is so great where those people are. If it wasn't, the missionaries wouldn't have gone over there and reached them in the first place. Um, and then so often sending them back to States to be trained. And then, you know, you know anybody who's listening to this podcast pretty much is going to know what happens after that. They graduate from school and even before they graduate from school, um, all of the churches here in the States are, we're always looking for good people and we should be right. You know, we're trying to find good godly people to help lead our youth ministries and our bus ministries and our music ministries. And you try to find somebody, you find them, you hire them. And you know, that's natural. That's, you know, that's, that's the natural thing to do, but the need on the field so often is so great that I right. hate it. I, you know, I hate it when somebody comes from a needy area not just Australia, but all over the world. Right. And then they don't go back. And, it's, mm. and, and I'm thinking to myself, oh man, what God could do mm. with that person if they would just go back to the field and see, right. see what the Lord could do. But maybe, you know, I'm not saying, cause again, I'm not the Holy spirit, like you said, but maybe it's possible that maybe they shouldn't have left the field at all. Maybe right. that person should have trained them. Yeah. Um, so talk to me quick about how, how you're, how you came to this idea about, you know what, Maybe we need to start training our own people because I know you're training some people now. Yeah. So I, again, it, just based on on just observing what what the pattern is in Scripture, you know, when you think about the Lord Jesus in the way he and obviously colleges and that mindset and the, those kind of things didn't exist in that time. But I think if we just set set a pattern in the in Christ, he he chose them that they would be with him. And I think there's just something about um, just being with those that, that God has called you to, to prepare and minister with and just, just being with them to invest life. I think Paul said it right when he said that, uh, he, that Timothy had fully known. And then he goes through doctrine, manner of life, all of that. 
And that doesn't happen by osmosis. It, it just happens by intentionally investing in someone. And again, not, not being critical of, of a Bible college setting, not at all. And, and not even being critical of, of the fact that, you know, sometimes we don't retain our own, but I think there just needs to be a general sense of, of intentionality from, from our pastors here in Australia to, to put the effort in, um, you know, I think sometimes if I can just put it on the flip side of what we were speaking about earlier, sometimes there isn't a design in the pastor's mind to actually train their own because they're, they're busy doing other things and, and this is lower down in their priority. And when I observed that and I looked at what God had, has given me stewardship over, um, I, I just believe that as a, as a shepherd, under shepherd and a, and a faithful steward of, of what God has given me, I needed to invest myself into those that God has given me to, um, to serve and to prepare for ministry. Cause that, that's something that I can't do. That's something that God does in a person's heart. And, you know, I, I just believe that that's just uh, the, in the, the responsibility. It needs to be higher up. I believe in, in a pastor's mindset more than, um, you know, more than the, the typical things that we think a pastor does, and like you said earlier, I think you, you mentioned the pulpit ministry and, and we understand its importance about the word of God being, being preached in, and, and for the church to be edified. But it, we can, it comes down to it really um, going, sitting with a small group or with a one-on-one -on -one situation. That's really when, when transformational things happen. When, when a heart right. ministers to another heart face-to-face, -face, there's just something about that that God uses. Thank you for listening to this episode of General Order 4. On the next episode, we will finish this interview with Pastor Hernan Halana. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to us at generalorder4 at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R. Or on Twitter at General Order, the number four. Please like, share, and subscribe.